Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. This week's Acquirers podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Validia. Validia runs quantitative stock selection models using factor-based strategies from 22 published books and academic research papers with long-term track records of success. Validia has combed through books about historically successful investors such as Warren Buffett, Ben Graham, and Peter Lynch, and academic research papers that contain unique investment strategies and uses them to run model portfolios it has tracked since 2003. You may recognize Validia since two of its founders, Jack Forehand and Justin Carboneau, both good friends of mine, have appeared as guests on the podcast. Through the end of February, Validia is offering 33% off an annual subscription to both its standard and professional product to listeners of the Acquirers podcast. To find out more about Validia, or to take a free trial, you can go to validia.com forward slash Toby. Again, that's V-A-L-I-D-E-A dot com forward slash Toby. And we're live. It's 10.30 on the West Coast, 1.30 on the East Coast. It's 6.30 UTC. I did, see the, I did see the tweets. Thanks for the heads up. I think it's 6.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's the Aquarius Podcast. What's up, fellas? No, it's value after hours. I forgot where I am. It's whatever it is. It's on the Acquirers network, right? That's it. Everybody, people have a network now. Omni-channel. Yeah. <laughs> Not much. How's everybody doing? There's some wild speculation in this market. Wow. Nah, I don't see it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, everyone looks pretty buttoned up. Get, getting text messages from everybody. Everybody's punting AMC and GME. Well, I mean, they were gambling anyway, right? So, oh, punting, that's right, yeah. That's gambling. Same thing, yeah. That's right, yeah. I use English here. That is, yeah. That's English English. That's old country English. <laughs> no, sir. In America, we, we say that everything that we say is correct, and proper English is not English. You, th- Sorry. you think that punting, standing up in a boat and pushing along with a stick. That's right, no, yes. It's like drop kicking. That's the, the drop kick. That's, that's our punting. Doing all that with a Bud Light in your hand. That's America. Anyway, <laughs> what are the topics for today, gents? I think everybody wants to know what inning we're in, Bill. Oh, come on, man. We're at <laughs> GameStop's down 50%, so we're, we're going back, back in to the one. Game. We're back to inning two. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Meme stocks, bro. Diamond hands. Yeah, crazy. Those are not second inning terms. Diamond hands? Yeah. You just don't have enough galaxy brain in you. I feel like we've had, a, f- we've had a few speculative kind of manias in this long bull market. And I don't think that it's ever kind of... You would think that it kind of ticked the top. Like Bitcoin 2017 going bananas. I mean, Tesla last year. Yeah. All I don't know. Tech stocks. It's kind of all Tesla's- meaningless, right? Tesla's the only one that's like really got a lot of market cap to it. And then and then I guess the SaaS stocks in aggregate. But I don't those might not be manias, man. They may be justified. I don't need to understand it. Just telling you. What's, what what topics are we talking about today? Oh, I'm a rant a little bit. So Yes. Bill's rant. <laughs> yeah. This is my, my favorite rant. segments. What do you got, JT? I'm gonna start yeah, I'm going to start uh, abdicating my time to Bill for ranting. Uh, now, I've got, uh, I prepared a little piece that's called uh, <laughs> Sperm Whale Stoicism. I like it. So we'll see how that, see how that goes. I don't know how you I went to the zoo last physics. week. I went to the zoo last week, and I have a video of a zebra humping another one. It was hilarious. I had to take a, <laughs> they, they let this male zebra in, and it just got, got rowdy in there. The female did not like it, but. Anyway, sperm whale reminded me. You're welcome, folks. Family podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's family How about stuff. You, TC, what do you got? I'm gonna I'm gonna be a downer again. I'm gonna I just think this we're in. I'm gonna, Bill and I can have an argument about it in a little bit, but I think we're uh, I think we're bottom of the ninth. How many innings are there in uh, baseball? Dude, come on. Fourth inning. Come Late on. on the fifth day in a cricket sense. Very dark shadows across the across the pitch. Mm. You guys love okay. to. You can translate that for the baseball aficionados. But I think I, you're saying the game's almost over. 
I think there's I think there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of overvaluation, and there's a lot of margin debt packed in there. And I think that SPACs and I think we're it's almost time to ring the bell. Yeah, I mean. That's a cute thing to say. Let's talk about why. Yeah, well, well, let's, do you want to do let's it? Let's do it. Let's you start off. Come on, let's roll. Ding, 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 so valuate. Nobody cares about valuation <laughs> metrics anymore, but valuation metrics uh, are all stretched. Uh, you know, diamond hands. Cyclical PE uh, thirty-five exceeded now only by two thousand peak. Uh, Buffett measure market cap to GNP. Same thing. Uh, now exceeds the the market peak. If you just break all of the uh, by decile, Husband had this great chart yesterday. Basically, every every decile is now more expensive than it was in two thousand, um, which is a little bit concerning. And then uh, on the speculative front, margin debt uh, to GDP uh, all time highs. Uh, people are speculating wildly in call options and things like that. I just think there's a collection of stuff that we're speculating on margin at very at, at very stretch valuations and that's that's tail in bull market behavior. Uh the uh, the the prosecution rests. Yeah, Bill counterpoint. <laughs> uh it's hard to argue these these stats that you use. Uh <laughs> I guess I guess that when you see the margin debt stuff, do you uh, do you guys know? Are they talking about um, like Melvin Capital, right? How, how the amount of leverage that they're using is that considered part of the margin debt calculations? Because generally, what I think I think my overall answer to this is, yeah, I think forward returns are quite a bit lower than they have been, and I suspect that people are trying to goose those returns with leverage. Is sort of like what I think is most likely going on and you know i just i guess i generally think that um i i just think forward returns are gonna suck and i think that the amount of leverage increases some of like the the probability of tail risk for like sell-offs and whatnot but i don't know i still think i mean like look at berkshire look at comcast like these things are not like glaringly obviously overvalued to me so i just think i agree with you that there are pockets um i'm just not sure that i think that like we're going back to some other valuation regime but for rates i don't know yeah i think i think it's the other way around i think it's very broad based overvaluation with some specific pockets of undervaluation i i honestly don't understand what drives the undervaluation in some of these stocks because i I, you know, I'm trying to create portfolios at a pretty high quality and I don't have any trouble creating a portfolio that's, you know, better return on equity than the market, faster growth than the market, and all at lower multiples than the market, better free cash flow conversion from EBITDA, like all of these things. I find that all, it's, there are quite a few companies out there, I think, that are reasonably valued, that are undervalued, that are good quality companies. So it, it is, it is, um, it's difficult to hold the two concepts in your mind at the same time. But when I look at the, you know, Hussman or Jesse Feller or any of the GDP metrics or any of that stuff, I know that those guys are going to be criticized because they've, they've been bearish for a long time. But I look at the data and the data is like, I don't care how they interpret it. The, I look at the charts, I color in the charts. They look pretty, they look pretty stretched to me. Rear window, front window, buddy. Like, you, you know, you're just looking out the rear view. And everybody else is looking at the windshield, and you know. Well, what are they looking that's at? The tell, tell me what everybody's looking at. Well, dude, in fifteen years from now, you have no idea how big these companies are going to be, and you just can't get your head around it. So you're going to miss the next great wealth generator. When I look at diamond what, hands, when I look at so the two two things, one of them is um, <laughs> Ford returns here. Ford returns are, I think Ford returns are about 9%, including 1.5% of dividends. So that means that's a negative 6.6%. No, no, 0.9%. 0.9%. Ford returns are 0.9%. Assuming mean reversion over a decade, back to, back to normalized ratios, which might be, that, that may not be a uh, reasonable assumption, but that's the assumption. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get it. I mean, I do think there's something to be said for in the past, a lot of the companies like 
you could build a replacement to the company that you're sort of, you know, if you're like a metal bender or whatever, somebody else can just put up another one if they're willing to have the capital. There are a lot of businesses now that are like truly Modi that are protected by IP. So they do. I, I, I don't know that like margin reversion is an argument I buy. Just saying. The other thing is that when I look at the when I look at the big returners, like the big the 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 gigantic winners over the last decade have been things that started at undervaluation. Microsoft yeah. undervalued, you know, Sherwin Williams paint company undervalued, Ross Stores undervalued retailer. Um, you know, they're all they're all the way that you get the really big returns is you're not trying to pick the business quality alone. You're trying to pick undervalued business quality. And that's how you get the monster returns over kind of a decade. Yeah, Apple, Apple too. Know. Look at David Gardner though. He's the counter example that I always use, but I, I do. That's like, a micro cap universe though. Small, small and micro. No, David, he does mid cap and stuff. He recommends stuff that's big. All right. It's just a different way. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I look. My bias tends to agree with you. I, I'm half the time that I say that we're in inning three. I'm I'm joking, but I also do think that there's like a lot of reasonable stuff out there right now. I just don't. And so do I. You know. Yeah. So, I guess I guess part of my hesitancy to be like, yeah, this is super late, is I think it does sort of turn my brain off from looking for stuff like that because like it makes me almost think about making a market call, and I don't think that that's a very healthy habit for myself. Well, I don't need to do that because I'm long short, but I can fill up a yeah. I can fill up a short book as easily as I can fill up a long book, and I can, you know, the shorts at the moment. I've, to be fair, the shorts have gone against me, so I'm, I'm, you know, but I have thought it each time that I've formed them. Gee, these are junky companies for gigantic market capitalizations like at some stage doesn't it have to show up doesn't the quality of the business have to show up in the financial statements or is that just we're not doing that anymore i don't i don't Supply think you demand. need well yeah I, I i agree actually right it's it is a supply and demand of shares and when you are pitching an idea that's 10 years away who the fuck is to say that your idea is wrong like this is all just pixie dust anyway on a lot of this stuff but i don't have to pay up for it <laughs> No, of course you don't. Well, that I mean, that's the bet that people that sort of have a value bend or bent or whatever are going to be making over the next five to 10 years, right? Is like, we're going to be saying, all right, well, this next five to 10 years is our years, right? So we'll see. Well, look, as a microcosm of what's happened, let's look at, you know, your QRTEA, Curate versus Zoom. Yeah, buddy. It's let's talk about it. Let's just wax poetic. <laughs> It's going to be the undervalued, like Zoom was super, super hot over the last 12 months, particularly like four quarters ago, right? Just when we all locked down, everybody was using Zoom. Uh, it's still growing very fast, still a great business. It's just that it, it just stalls out and curate, you know, who would touch that with a 10 foot pole? And then idiots, here especially it is. in size. <laughs> That You know, I love when people come at me and they're like, do you think it'll be a bigger business? No, I don't know. That's not even the question you need to be asking at the valuation that I pitched at, dumbass. Yeah, it's a capital structure. It's a capital structure more than it's anything else. Yeah, not everything needs to be how big can this business be in the future. Some things in life are how much cash am I getting back and can I actually handicap what I need to believe in the, you know, going forward. I, I do. That, that does trigger me a bit, those conversations, because it's like, you know, some like, people that... That's every single one of these conversations though is like it's some cash far out in the future that may or may not show up right relative to cash today cash in the pockets in the next year or two because you feel like you have some sense of what the business is going to do you don't have to have such herculean insights into into what the world looks like 10 years from now yeah I guess that the only the only thing that I think that uh, I wish that I had understood earlier is that the math of the right tail and how, you know, if you make a portfolio of bets that you do think will be much bigger in the future, like Ron Barron is a pretty good example. I have been hesitant to like look into his stuff because he benefited from Tesla and I find that offensive, but like his career is pretty freaking impressive. And, you know, his podcast on uh, Masters in Business is worth listening to. He's had a lot of really big wins. 
So that that method of thinking matters. I've just always been so into like, oh, well, how do you know? Cost me a lot of money. Do you guys have any thoughts on GameStop? Is that sort of... Yeah, I do. Allow me is to that your Is that your rent? Yes. First of all, who the fuck do some of these people think they are pouring fuel on the fire, right? And like fueling this populist narrative that it's the little guy versus the big guy. Chameth, or whatever the fuck his name is, I don't care if I just said it wrong, should have shut his mouth and not announced that he bought those calls. And then he acts like he's donating it to charity out of the goodness of his heart. No, is the reason is compliance called him and said, you better figure out a way to weasel out of this thing because you got a ton of followers and you're running people straight to the fire and you're cheering them on on Twitter and you're pontificating about a bunch of shit you don't know anything about. That guy needs to treat the responsibility that he has much more like with a lot more respect than jumping up on some Wall Street bets BS saying I'm going YOLO on some calls. Not to mention the people that he's leading to the fire could actually be hurt where he could lose all that money. And it doesn't matter because he's going to get it all in SPAC fees because these lemmings are going to give it to him. That guy has not bothered me until pretty recently. And he's like. I find him very offensive right now. Very offensive. There are a few guys jumping on that bandwagon, right? David Day Trader did that as well. And then But he's a he's Mark like Cuban. whatever. I I look, I just I think that there is I think introducing populism and populist narratives into the market is extremely dangerous. And I think that when you have a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or however many freaking followers that guy has. Chamath like one point two million. Yeah, so whatever he has, like I don't care. I did look at some of his replies. He buys a lot of bots, but anyway. Um <laughs> the the uh the idea that like he is rooting on the small guy bitching about payment for order flow when SoFi does the exact same thing. Like, how about you actually know your portfolio company? Like, I mean, slow your roll, man. You don't need to have an opinion on everything. Let me let me just clear, how does how does Robinhood work? Is it so they, they don't charge you a fee for what they do, and so rather than front running you, and so this is another way they could be doing it, right? They just make a wide bid ask spread every time you want to trade. They're just in between, but they don't do that either. What they do is that they sell that front running to Citadel, and they get a fee for giving them that data. Is that is that correct? Is that how it works? Yeah, I think how it is is they they route it and Citadel gets the first look and Citadel knows if they can sort of like skim something and then they send it back a a little check. I do think that they have to give best order like execution though. I, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure how all that works the internals. But like at the end of the day, the guy that was always going to be hurt here was the small guy at the end of it, right? And I don't buy. I, I wanted to buy like this. Oh, let's all jump on Robin Hood thing, right? I got like motivated reasons to believe that. But like, I you know, I'm happy that I talked to some smarter people than me. And they sort of said like, there's no way. There's way too much volume. It's got to be the big guys. And I just think that like jumping on this bandwagon, you know, we'll see how it all gets totaled out. But I, I really fundamentally think that what some big names did in this whole story is like really irresponsible. And I know that I sound like an old man, but I, I really feel like people don't uh, treat the responsibility that they ask society to give them with enough respect. And I think that this was a really good example of that in a couple instances. And it upsets me greatly. Yeah, I agree. Pretty gross behavior on a lot of fronts. I mean... I was surprised at how quickly it kind of unraveled. Like, usually it seems like it would take at least a couple of weeks or something, right? But this was, like, started and ended within before our last podcast. <laughs> it did. Right? Like, it's internet time, I guess. Uh, I mean, we knew it was going. We, yeah. we knew it was going on. Jimmy was sort of... Yeah. I had Mike Burry as, you... the, as the, the gif for, uh, for the Twitter promo last week. That's true. All right, so we got two weeks worth I of think, I think, fun in it, but I think it'd be, well, it it's been going on for squeeze, a little right? while. It's been going on for a little while. I think that retail really piled in between the podcast and uh, and now. 
and then it broke down. Like it was already, it was right at the end of that parabola of whatever that, you know, whatever that shape is. What do you call a broken parabola? Yeah, I don't know. The South Sea bubble formation when it sort of gets to that, when the big move, the last stick is all the way up and then it turns around. Yeah, that did seem to happen very quickly. The highest point's the apogee, that I know. The apogee, there you go. The apex, the pinnacle. Yeah. What, I just, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the um, shutdown of trading and like stopping order flow? Oh, yeah, that I did. That, I, I kind of am sympathetic. So this is where I'm sympathetic to the degenerate gamblers. My buddy bought into BlackBerry. I told him not to do it, but he was like, I'm doing it. And then like when they stopped him, right, like they did change the rules on him. And he's like, dude, what the heck? Like it can't go up because people can't buy enough of it. And all of a sudden, like you have you have like put circuit breakers into the potential of the gambling which part of me gets upset that there's gambling in the markets, but the other part's like, well, it was going on anyway. So once the dance is going, cutting the music doesn't seem very sportsman-like. It was a liquid. Yeah. It was a solvency liquidity issue for Robin Hood, wasn't? It? I mean, that's the thing that I find most amazing. Like that's the most frightening part. That's the the scariest thing you can possibly hear that a broker right at the very peak of, like we're basically at all time highs, and there's a broker having trouble. What? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like they don't plan for tail risk in certain uh, instances. Are they planning on them? What, what happens if the market goes down a bit? Yeah. It's almost like they don't pay attention to KYC at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I, I mean, mean, I, I think um, that, you know, the other thing that really upsets me is like these people that are saying like, oh, it's for the common man or some nonsense about democratizing investing. You're not democratizing investing, yeah, giving people options. Get out of here. And then like these VCs saying like, oh, you know, it's not our fault or whatever. SoFi is just as bad. Like you guys are all make me sick. Yeah. I mean, pimping your customers to Citadel and then pretending like you're democratizing trading. That's that's a little offensive. Yeah. It's kind of like gross. it closed out any of your funds. Good. I didn't want them anyway for my rant. <laughs> yeah. Send all the hate mail to Bill. I, man, I'm happy to have the conversation with some of these guys. I think it's nonsense. And I think these guys that sit behind this were democratizing investment thing. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if they weren't in finance and they like just didn't know better. But the fact that they know better and they still make like how freaking greedy are you? Like that's you. You really gotta sell that. Like you don't have a soul. But how are they like getting paid integrity. otherwise? How are they getting paid otherwise? I don't know. I mean, some of these guys. Uh, I mean, look at the VC backers in Robinhood. You you can't pass one deal up, like not one. What if or it you works? gotta go out and you and you gotta be loud about how you think you're democratizing investing. But that's like, no, the you're game, not. right? They all, Shut up. They're all they're all the rebels before, you know. The, uh, the the empire the empire yeah that's the that's how you, that's that's like the oldest uh, marketing trick in the book. There's a difference between quietly backing something and then going out and giving uh, you know Wall Street Journal interviews, obviously pumping a false narrative. So that's fine. I'm a no one. I don't respect them. They don't need to care that I don't respect them. Next, our lives will both be fine, never crossing paths. Yeah, I, I never thought for one second <laughs> what do that, I they, care? that they believe what they were saying. I guess that's mm. yeah. It's, well, it is pretty. It is pretty creepy selling the order flight, <laughs> pretending that you're Robin Hood on one hand, and then selling the order flight of the sheriff of Nottingham on the other, or some bandit in the forest, not even the sheriff yeah. of Nottingham. Well, and this notion of like a lot of our customers are buy and hold. Okay, like just I mean, just look at the options flow through each platform. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. You're not buying holding options. I know. Well, that's my point, right? <laughs> it's not like they're empowering any individuals for real. They're turning people into degenerates or facilitating the process. I won't, I won't assign the blame. I will say they are nudging people to the wrong place. Yeah. Just a lot of gross, gross things happening. You, you know, it's just like how much greed is enough greed? Like when is enough? 
And then and then for some of these guys to like, I don't know, to just push this populist stuff, man. It, it's just like, what are you doing? And, and do you realize the fire that you're playing with? And what scares me even more is that they might realize the fire that they're playing with and they may like it. What do you think happens? So what, what's the what are you worried about? I mean, the integrity. You've already got people in the country that don't have faith in the election system. So now you want to have no faith in the financial markets. Like, what is America's competitive advantage if it's not rule of law and financial markets? I mean, so should, what? We're gonna we're gonna mess around and play with that? Should you have faith in the financial motion? Should you have faith in the financial markets? I think that I think yes. I think that on average, America's capital markets are something that people. Uh, should be proud of as Americans. We've do had, I think that there are bad things that happen in it? Yeah, I do. We've had but, speculative. You know, we've had lots of trading before. We've had booms and busts before. This is nothing new. What's new? It's different. I'm not saying that there's a boom and a bust. What I'm saying is if you have plenty of money and you attach yourself to it and you front run it for your own attention, I think you're a sick human. That's what I think. I don't care about a short squeeze. I care about influence, people of influence running sheep to the slaughter. That's what I care about. I don't care about a short squeeze on a company that is meaningless in the grand scheme of things. You know, the other thing that concerns me is that, you know, there's already a fair amount of populists, you know, just a lot of people felt like they were, have been left behind in the last 20, 30 years. And if you gave them that little bit of hope, like, oh, maybe I can get rich this way, like all these other people have, and then you take it away in a, even if it was like for true liquidity reasons that they actually had to stop taking orders, it, that's too nuanced for them to care. It feels like you stopped the clock in the third quarter when I was winning and now yeah. you change the scoreboard and I'm losing. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, to use kind of Chris Cole's ideas about like risk doesn't get destroyed, but it can be transmuted. And I mean, I think you're turning what was trying to squash financial risk of over speculation and turning it maybe into, you know, pitchfork risk. And yeah. I mean, there's just, it's just one more thing for people to be upset about and feel like the game is rigged. Yeah, that's right. Do, do you bear any responsibility as an individual investor piling into something like that though? Like you can't be, you can't be that stupid that you think this is just free upside. No, but dude, that's what I'm saying. Why I have some sympathy with the gamblers because my buddy that bought BlackBerry was not—he knew exactly that he was gambling, but he was like, "Now, right? It was already going on, and then once you restrict my ability to buy or other people's ability to buy, well, now you sort of like screwed me in my gamble. So you've sort of like changed the dynamics, and you know, like I, I mean." The problem is you're not playing a game with the same power that everybody else is. And, you know, I think people learned real quick. Uh, maybe their assumptions weren't. What's the reason Robinhood had to shut um, it down? Why, why are they taking any risk there at all? Why aren't they just facilitating the transaction? So I don't know the answer. Jake, do you know? Um, I probably don't enough to say, like, for sure. But, it, I mean, it sounds like it's – they can't – like, they have to have certain – collateral requirements yeah that's with my their understanding broker but why would they with the yeah, like okay. with the clearinghouse right and they have clearing like post collateral right. and, and it's moving what was going on they needed to raise capital to stay within the regulators uh requirements is my understanding i mean it's it, which it, is limited it happens all the time that the collateral requirements in your account move up and down you get a notice you know regularly that you need to put more collateral up for something that you in the in the PA, Hopefully not too regularly. <laughs> well, yeah, they just I mean Some they just change the notice. rules. They just change the rules yeah. halfway through. That happens all the time. That's not right. uncommon. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I just it's it's people's reaction. It's not what like I mean, you know. And I I, I even tweeted like I thought it was kind of humorous that Robinhood halted uh, trading, you know, because the little guy on the little guy when they're you know I've always known they're not there for them, um, but. I just, uh, I don't know the way certain people behave, the way that Elon Musk like turned it into about short sellers, like, dude, go fuck yourself. Like that you, you haven't won yet. Yeah. People were short your company. Guess what? They got their faces ripped off. Okay. Short sellers are good for the market. 
You may not like them. I don't like these hit jobs on stocks. I don't like pump and dump guys. I don't like frauds. I don't like any of it. The fact of the matter is short selling to me is as important as free speech. Like, don't turn this into shorts are evil. Chamath calling it un-American. I, I find your SPAC shit offensive. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, I just, the whole discussion I thought was sick. Where's I need, We need a CNBC Buffett. Uh, he needs to come out and give us some He's in his 90s. Words. He's been quiet. He's in his 90s. He's running a very big Munger company. coming up. In our uh, Munger's coming up for Daily Journal here next in this month, another couple weeks. So, dude, I wish I could ask Munger when's the last time you set up IPO A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P and see what he says to, about that. Wasn't it Munger who said, "Get that money, bro"? Or was that? <laughs> I think it was. Yeah, get the money, then change the world. I understand why people like him. I'm just saying, I think he's towing a very dangerous line. I even liked him on the Ted Seides interview, to be fair. But I don't like what I see right now. JT, you want to do your uh, do your market philosophy, life philosophy? Yeah. Palette cleanser. That's, this is a t- tough out to follow there. Sorbet. <laughs> All right. So this, uh, this little segment is uh, called Sperm Whale Stoicism. And it's... Um, I don't know if you guys know a whole lot about sperm whales, but they're like, they're pretty incredible creatures. So, you know, they breathe oxygen just like we do, but they, they're able to hold their breath for up to 120 minutes. And, you know, a typical dive for them will be like a 35 minute hunt. Um, and they go like crazy deep into the ocean. They'll go down, you know, t- routinely two or 3000 feet, but the, the deepest measurement's been like 1.2 miles, which is over 6,000 feet. Um, now, 1.2 miles deep. Huge. Deep, yeah. That pop the they're, they're huge. Well, they would yes, for us, sure. It would. They're, uh, You'd get the bends huge. coming up for sure. All right, we'll get to that. They, um, <laughs> so they have, their average size is like uh, 16 meters, which is like 52 feet. And their the average weight is like about 50 tons. Uh, but they have, they've measured some that like weigh like 80 tons. Um they eat about 3% of their body weight every single day. So it's estimated that they eat like uh, about 91 million tons per year of seafood. And it's usually fish and squid. Lucky bastards. Uh, and well, humans as a species, we eat 115 million tons. So they're not that far off from what we eat. Uh, as in, And they're obviously their numbers are quite a bit smaller. Because um, that's you know, I'm doing my 3% part. of your body weight. Yeah, yeah I'm put on the over on that. <laughs> Uh, that's like 1,200 pounds a day of food that you're eating. So uh, what's what's amazing, too, is they have uh, they use echolocation to hunt because when you're down, you know, a mile deep, there's no sunlight down there. It's pitch black. And so they have this – they're able to use this, like, clicking inside of their head, and it's crazy loud. They're the loudest animal on Earth. And it's, like, it's 230 decibels, this clicking sound, louder than a jet engine. And – um, they can live for like 70 years or more. Uh, if, if you want some facts on their like gestation, like it's kind of funny that they gestate like 14 to 16 months. And then the females will give birth like every four to 20 years. And, um, they'll drink, they'll like lactate for up to like 42 months, but some have even been measured up to like 13 years. Uh, <laughs> like the baby's still eating <laughs> from the mom. So those are like the real, uh, the real Buster Bluths of the uh, <laughs> of the whale world. Uh, anyway, that so let's get a little bit like deeper and put ourselves uh, like shrink ourselves and put and go inside of the whale like when it starts to dive. And typically they'll they'll sort of like hyperventilate up on the surface for about eight minutes between dives. And what they're doing is reoxygenating their system. But so if we shrink ourselves down and go inside and think about the pressure that's happening, you know, when you dive down. Um, you know, the, they use oxygen just like we do to, to power their muscles. Um, and when they start diving, like the pressure builds, right? So for every 33 feet of water, there's a column of water on top of you. That's one atmosphere additionally. 
or about 15 or you know psi so you know when you, by the time you get down to half a mile below surface you're at like 80 atmospheres that's like wow. 1200 psi squishing you uh, so what that what happens if you know you imagine the little the little alve alveoli the little like folds in the lungs that we have than they have if you have a uh, that much pressure right it's it crushes their basically like crushes their body in such a way that their lungs collapse into one percent of their normal size Oof. when they're up on the top side so what the problem is is that when you do that that forces so much oxygen and nitrogen into your bloodstream through your through your, the tissue inside your lungs and so when you come back up you that nitrogen then bubbles out of your blood right and destroys all your cells so that's what the bends are right like it's nitrogen hmm. coming up uh dissolving out of your blood um so when uh what's it so what is mother nature came up with this evolution to solve this problem and what she did was they the whales when they start diving they shut off their their alveoli completely so they don't it's not like they take a big gulp of air and then go under. What the, instead, what they do is that they store all the oxygen locally inside of their body and or inside of their muscles. So they have two times the hemoglobin density as humans and ten times as much the myoglobin, which is the like the, the little protein inside your muscles that that help oxygen move around. Hmm. So they store all of the oxygen within their muscles before they go dive. So it's not really a lung thing. They shut the lungs off. Um, so to really like torture this analogy, other than just, it's fun to learn. Find your way back, facts. JT. Find, find yeah. your way where, back. Where are we yeah. going with this? But I do like I got it. To it's very interesting. I'm like a, I'm a mile under right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, if we think about, you know, if we go on our own little hunt, you know, a deep dive for, you know, researching a company, you know, if you have to have other people's reassurances continually that's sort of like breathing air on the top side but being able to shut that off and having enough internal kind of metal an internal sense of your self-worth like the oxygen of your self-worth storing that internally and not having to you know exchange it with the outside um well i think allows you to go places and do things that maybe someone would say seems impossible um so there's kind of a stoicism to you know, keeping your own mind in a way, in a way that they store oxygen locally and don't have to get it, don't have to get self-assurance externally from other people. So very tortured, you, barely got it back over the finish line. You need a lot of, Just, you need a lot of that as a value guy in this market. Put strong, yeah. strong self-image stored locally yeah, in the muscles. And so it's okay to come back topside and like re interact with people and kind of get recharged. But then when you go back to hunting, like shut off your, shut off the lungs, get everyone else's brain, you know, everyone else's voices out of your head and like focus on the primary things for you. I like it. That said, I want to thank everybody <laughs> that listens to us that writes with their best idea. Shout out to all of you. <laughs> I am, I am for sourcing ideas among <laughs> others. Don't take this as we don't listen when you write. We do. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, but you don't, you do, you want to do your own work though, right? Oh, 100%. You, and you don't want to have the influence too much of other people when it comes to us reassessing the facts for yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Except for on meme stocks, which you obviously buy based on the quality of the meme. Correct. <laughs> But you have to assess the meme through your own lens. You don't ask other people how good the meme is. That's fair. That's the new new edge. Yes, that is the new edge. Meme analysis. Does yeah. does Wall Street bets change anything in the markets? Nah. I don't think this is much different. I, I do think that the swarm size could get bigger though. Uh and I, I do would, think Yeah. Sorry, Jake. Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, um, I, I do think, like, Mike, I do hope that we can save this episode. We've been working on it for a while now. But uh, Non-Gap, he, he had mentioned that, like, he, if he was some of these founders, like, he would almost be concerned about, like, the Wall Street bets plus a visionary founder taking over, like, a, 
one of these sort of embattled companies? Does it does it create like a scenario where you almost see what GameStop did? Um, and then like, can they issue capital? And all of a sudden, like you've got this, um, cult of, you know, like almost like a religion that's, uh, empowering valuation and, and how can you attack that? If you're, you know, somebody like Buffett, for instance, that's focused on cash flow, you, you can get people messing up wheels up, right. Versus NetJets. You give me those two businesses, Sansa SPAC, NetJets will destroy wheels up over time. You get enough stupid money, like there's no guarantee that Wheels Up doesn't just hurt the market for both both businesses. I don't think they can destroy NetJets, but they can take out a lot of value just from stupidity. How is that different to what's yeah, been happening fair. in the past though? Like haven't there have been you know, Icon goes into a stock, it gets a little bit of a bump. Buffett buys a stock, it gets a little bit of a bump. You yeah. know, if somebody charismatic goes into it like Somebody goes into a. I can't really think of any examples of big turnarounds, but somebody. I don't see any reason why somebody couldn't go and take over something moribund, let everybody know about it. Hey, we got a brand new idea. We're going to raise some money. We're going to go and do some stuff. Like that's. Is that new? No, I don't think so. At uh, J.C. Penney. Oh, yikes! Sorry, (laughs) Attack. It sounded good at the time. Well, right? Not to my girl Jen Ross. It didn't. Um, not to who? Not to Jen Ross. Uh, she she had shorted that. Um, but I, yeah, I think you're right. I guess that the interesting thing to think about for me is like, does the internet enable sort of a distributed scale that can am- and and the depth of the options market and leverage in general? I just I don't know. I don't have a good enough sense. But so pretty- would you say two things? One, the um, do you think that the left tail of shorting has gotten fatter and scarier with that? Is that the downside? Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, you've haven't you always tried to avoid like the? I thought it, it was like pretty common knowledge among shorts. You don't short the most heavily shorted stocks. I mean, you don't want to be long the most heavily shorted stocks either because they're probably not going to work very well. But if you short, then you've got borrow issues and you've got other things then you've you're captive to what the other shorts are doing but you just want to avoid the most shorted long or short why would you be short something like that in size if you're melvin capital like why would you be short games that one thing it's there's a pretty reasonable argument that it was undervalued until it got to like 20 bucks why would you be short that thing like why would you make it a big short in gme and why would you make it a big short in your fund in your fund well, there's so I don't know how big that short position was because I haven't. They said they were I mean, down fifty percent. Yeah, but I don't know it that got it was. Big. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. Um, I don't know where they were taking on water and what they had to liquidate. I I just I don't know. But you could be using it as a funding short, right? You could be short GameStop to go long Pinterest two X, like uh, which looks like their book. They were also short Curate, which. When they had to unwound or unwind, I trimmed a little. So shout out to Melvin Capital for giving me ten percent. <laughs> You'd have been. <laughs> I was like, this is yeah. a little bit, little bit rich for me. So I don't know. Yeah. I, you should listen to my podcast with Jen Ross. She talks about this. All right, I'll put it's that like, on. It's really interesting. And and she said exactly what you said. She's like, you shouldn't short like heavily shorted stocks. And I mean, she basically talked about how this whole situation can be set up. Um, so I agree. And don't so I don't have a question big. for you. Sorry. No, I was going to say another question for you then. Uh, if one of the hallmarks of wisdom of the crowds is heterogeneous population, heterogeneous viewpoints, does the, the coalescing of viewpoints in a you know, decentralized Wall Street bets now everyone going the same direction completely foul up wisdom of the crowds and we should expect more market inefficiency the more that we see pirating clowning together i mean i'd be careful being in the stock that they're pointing at i don't know i think that the the wisdom of the crowds breaks down when they're pointing at something but you know in discovering it probably there's a period of time where they're trying to work it out that that's probably a good sorting process that probably does qualify as uh wisdom of the crowds but once they find it and they're like 
pumping it, manipulating it, then you're a madman if you're in there. Mad woman, that's not gender specific. You're mad if you're in there. You're nuts. You're bonkers. Get out of it. Long or short. I guess I, the thing that's tough for me to understand about Wall Street bets, and it's because I don't have enough historical context. I just don't know what's like that much different about it than Twitter or Seeking Alpha or like Yahoo the old internet, yeah, message boards of the time. Like I don't, I don't think this is actually about Wall Street bets. I think this is about some internal big hedge funds fighting, and Wall Street bets is the beard. <laughs> mm. And I think GME that, was like, a small stock, though. I mean, before it got to a fifteen billion dollar capitalization, it was pretty small. Yeah, I know, but I just i I think that there were pros that saw the whole setup and really leaned on it, and Wall Street bets made for a nice story for everyone to write about. But I am interested to see the facts when they come out. I'm not. I just don't buy the the whole story that's being sold. I think it's wrong. I don't know how though. In the calls, though, you could see that call volume option. I mean, we've seen that calls leading other big stocks that led Tesla, and Tesla's a much bigger stock than uh, GameStop. Yeah, but I, I mean, who was who was buying the calls? Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't know. You, are you saying is, it's it's market manipulation of the person buying the calls? So they're trying to force up the underlying. I'm saying it's possible. I mean, I, I, I just, I don't buy that this is all Wall Street bets ganging up against the big bad hedge fund. I, I just, I don't know. There's, there's something that doesn't add up to me about that story. I always think it's funny when they like sticking it to Wall Street. Like, there's not a single person on Wall Street who thinks they're Wall Street. Everybody thinks they're the rebels. <laughs> every yeah. single person, every single person's a contrarian. A well, point. and the other thing that I, I gather is sort of unfortunate is, uh, I, I talked to one person that knows, uh, what is it? Gabe Plotkin? Is that his name? Right. But Melvin pretty well. And he said like, he's actually like a really good guy. He's, he's one of the few that like really trains up the analysts and comes down and like really takes the time. So sucks, but they obviously had some risk problems. It was all pretty quick. I guess it went from like being, GameStop was a pretty small stock until it was a $15 billion stock, even that small these days. Well, so your question on the call volume, right? Yeah. Like, how do how do we know that that's not them hedging out their exposure via calls? Because, yeah, like, don't. you couldn't get shares. So, like, how... I just... I don't know who Well, the fact that they're down 50% probably gives that away. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess. They're I mean, I just well don't... Yeah, no doubt. But maybe that was how they had to. I mean, didn't he say like I'm out or whatever? And I, I just I don't have the answer. I just don't think that this is Wall Street bets taking it to Melvin. That Capital. shouldn't stop you from telling everyone what happened. Well, I did a pretty <laughs> decent rant earlier, so I I, I don't want to talk about things that I don't have knowledge or strong opinions on, and I I know enough to know that I don't know in this case. Andrew Left has given up short selling as a result of this episode. Not true. He is given up publishing short selling reports. Ah, uh, is that the distinction? Okay. Yes. Oh well that makes sense. That makes sense. But that's been like that's been a little bit of a game for a little while, right? Long and short for the activists, activist short selling, activist longs. Like yeah. I think that's the thing that people you know, that's the thing when when, when Musk is complaining, when Chamartha's complaining, that's what they're complaining about, the shorts who are or, or whoever it was who who was it Cuban who was complaining about the shorts, like the shorts who are put a big short position on, then publish the research report, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't understand why that's such a such a hot-button issue. But It's like what people do. It's sown the it's other way. Because you're not an American. <laughs> I am. I am. Out. I mean, oh, it's... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Nobody likes the, the guy betting on the don't come line at the craps table, right? He just quietly collects his chips. I just, I just don't... Right, so, I don't understand the antipathy. Like you go and do the work. It's massively trading over where it should be trading. You tell everybody about it. How does that make you a bad guy? It doesn't. That's why I'm more skeptical of the people that are painting short sellers as the bad guys. Yeah. Right? Those are the guys that I think might actually be the bad guys. I don't care about some short sell. You know how easy it is to destroy a short seller if you're a real company? Please, Lord, launch a short attack yeah. on Charter. Do it tomorrow. Go insane. 
that's Tommy what... Rutt will eat your ass for lunch, that's and what... I will make money. Phrasing bill. That's that's the thing. I don't I, I don't get either. What what like when it, when a when a when a CEO comes out and addresses the shorts, I'm like, why bother? What is it? What do you care? Yeah, it's irrelevant Just... how the shares are held by the public. Look at what the guy from Ubiquity, Robert Perra, did. Short sellers helped him gain a ton of money over time because he just did a buyback. And you know what talks? Cash flow. So shut up and go execute. Don't try to get short sellers banned. The issue is for the guys who are having to head to the market all the time to raise capital. Yeah. They don't like it. But, like Tesla. But, you know, there's an argument mm. that I guess if they, oh, I don't know. And look, this is tough, right? Because if you're Elon Musk, I can understand why you would be like, why you would feel like shorts are trying to truncate your your like vision. On the other hand, you didn't have to say you had funding secured at four hundred and twenty dollars a share. That used to be market well, manipulation. You can get away with a lot more these days. Yeah, between friends. Yeah. So like I don't I that's what that's what I find really offensive is I find when a guy like him comes out and says like these guys are manipulating the markets or they need to be shut down and I look at what his actions were like it just doesn't add up for me I'm I'm not into this Why didn't GameStop place some shares I don't know Do you I think, think what's the CFO doing there well, you had one if, job. <laughs> I thought that I read that Jeffries underwrote the offering. There, there was an offering was, to come. I thought so. Yeah, but if I was Jeffries and they tried to like stick me with the underwriting, yeah, I'd be it? like, "We're going to court before this." Like, where there's no way it? I'm honoring this. That's hard, right? Because you can see that move up and down like that. Where do you price it? They needed to do it earlier this year or late last year. Yeah, somebody's commenting. AMC floated. I don't know how they did. I I uh, I honestly don't understand how. I if I was Jeffries, if if I'm right that Jeffries did do the underwriting, I would a hundred percent fight that in court before I'd honor my obligation. Do you have to underwrite it? I think they had an underwriting. Does it have to be underwritten? Can you just say we're just going to see how many we can get away? I think I think in an underwriting, Jeffries could have been. I, I think I'm now talking about stuff I don't know, but I think they could have been forced to place the shares. But my understanding is maybe GameStop's in a quiet period or something. Yeah, so it had to be something else going on, right? That's why I want like Hertz could Hertz had one on the shelf already. So yeah, they were able to, to get issue to Robin Hood. Shocker! Didn't the SEC Oof. stop that one though? Yeah, I think they did after the fact though. Or they had a second one that they were going to get away? I don't know. Uh, gosh. Well, Crazy. Take some know. questions. Yeah, hit us with the questions. All right. If I continued to bet on your divorce and told people you were cheating, is the solution you just smiling and showing how much you love each other? I, I mean, look. I think this question is about short attacks from MD. Uh, I guess that the issue that I have is I have come across short reports on ubiquity and uh, national beverage, and they forced me to work harder, and I concluded that they were wrong, and I ended up making good money. I, I think that like a short report should force people to think about a position and if the company is real and people have done the work time will tell the longs can promote the long story all day every day through every single media channel everywhere so why can't the shorts say what they're saying as long as it's in good faith yeah uh agreed hell hold Benman, right hell holbrook passed away today we should uh, veil Hal Holbrook who was Lou Mannheim in uh, Wall Street too much money slushing around yeah, that, mm. that guy I wish I had that whole quote teed up that I could do it <laughs> yeah that would have been a better programming yeah it would have been I didn't think of it until just then I saw somebody tweeted something about it how important is multiple expansion 
I mean, it's nice to get. I don't rely over on the it. last ten years. Yeah, it's been it's been and, everything and it's for really everybody. important. <laughs> it's been more. It's like one hundred and fifty percent of the game. Yeah, that's not oh. true. It's like one hundred and twenty-five percent of the game. <laughs> the um, if people do want a that's good true. conversation on the GameStop stuff, I would highly recommend this week in intelligent investing with Phil Ordway, John Mahalkovich, and uh, and Elliot Turner. They did a really good episode, I thought, and I thought that they really laid out like the uses of short selling. Helps you get a little bit longer protects the book when it goes down you still value just turned around the other way it's missing some of the criteria of value long yeah you know so you can't go to sleep on your shorts where you can go to sleep on your longs you can wake up in 10 years time and find it's gone to zero or up a lot and it really doesn't make much difference it seems like a lot of brain drain to me like it's i just it's hard enough for me to figure out how to do the long game i mean if you're nervous about where the market is like i am and have been for an extended period of time. I want to be able to pick my longs and not worry about what the market does. And so I can have the shorts on. I know that in the event the market gets smashed up, these shorts should go down more than the market. Yeah. That's that's why I do it. I think what the the jaws stretched like they are. I mean, you have that much... That much dispersion. Turns out the the jaws can keep on opening. Completely love the... Well, yeah, there's no... (laughs) There's no, there's no limit on the size of the jaws, but at some point the there's got to be a, the broken jaw, right, or a torn ligament or something. Yeah, goes the other way at some point. Jesus. Very rough market. The multiple. I, just, I don't know. I, I I think there's a lot of opportunity, man. I really do. Like, I just think that there's a lot of stuff going on that people. I I, I just I'm really hesitant to say that the market is overvalued because I I'm just like really worried about how I will process that public statement. Yeah, so I probably uh, err on the other side of it. It's almost irrelevant, right? It doesn't really make any difference, and it it can be a little bit of a distraction because you can have a. 99, 2000 to 2002 kind of period where market's going backwards, value's going up. So it's not helpful. You should just be out there hunting for undervalued stuff. It's just that when you get the big sell-offs, you know, correlations really do go to one. Everything will start trading basically the same way. And we get some big dislocations. That's a good thing if you're a value guy. It's just painful to go through. And I hate seeing people... You know, I, I think that the GME thing, like I... I thought it was an amusing sideshow. I I think if you're putting any real money into that, you're crazy. Unless you're like Scotty Jackson, who got in way way early because it was undervalued and saw one way to get out of it. But you know, for most people, they just shouldn't have been in it. I think the bigger issue is that there's a lot of stuff out there that is crazy, crazy expensive that people are in that have seem to have no clue how expensive it is. With pretty big market caps. Huge. Like if like Some compounding off fifty billion dollars, like if you think you're gonna do fifteen percent a year, like Only that's like gotta be a really big company in ten years, or a really or a really low cap rate, right? I mean, at a if it always perpetually trades at a one and a half percent free cash flow yield, then I guess it's justified. But I hope you got something else in your portfolio to offset the duration risk. What's that? Yeah, no doubt. I don't, I don't yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> he doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> yeah, that guy, we had to let him go. Had to let him go in about 95, 2000 maybe. Bill, do you worry at all about the, it's very, I think, very easy to slip a little bit on your relative valuations to where it's you kind of can talk yourself into things that, if it was a different time period and other things weren't as egregious, you wouldn't be as interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what to do with that information because like the way that I handle it and and I'm overly allocated to equity now and I shouldn't be, I find it hard to sell. It's a uh, problem. You're a young man. You'll be right. I'm not young anymore. This, I don't know. Last year took some years off my life. Anyway, uh, I guess yeah, I do worry about it, but like I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, um, other than to to focus on business quality and businesses I think can be bigger in the future. I think that's well, a pretty and good you gotta bet. be, 
you have to, I think, probably follow Munger's advice that if you can't stomach a 50% drawdown, then you don't deserve equity returns. Yeah, it just kind of sucks when the equity return is 3% out of the gate. I think it's 0.9. Right. Yeah, but there's some businesses that are. I mean, that's oh, yeah. why I don't like to own the oh, I see. index. In terms of, in terms of free, yeah, three percent. I forget. That's fair. There's plenty of that around. Yeah. I got last question because we're just about to run out of time. Do you 3%? think percent? Fuck, that was like a half of a treasury <laughs> ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's a different world. Hard to justify, right? Now it's three. Now it's free ten years. What this three times riskier than the ten year? No, it's not. Do you think index funds, specifically their auto-rebalancing towards better-performing stocks, creates a market-structured dynamic in favor of momentum? Uh, so this yeah, is this I'll is Michael that. Green's argument, right? That, that the flows are dominating the market. I don't know that that's any different from what's always happened because it seems to me that it's always been the case that everybody piles into the stuff that's working. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah, I mean, momentum is a it's a persistent factor over time, right? I mean, it seems to have worked. It's it seems to be more. If I talk to Wes or uh, Meb or uh, Corey, shout out to Corey's on the call from the Grand Caymans, uh, they will tell me that it's more robust than value. Yeah. So I don't I don't know that. Uh, I mean, they're doing like historical back tests, so it's not as if their their data set is just limited to when index funds got this big right yeah it's it that's, that's been the case for a long time momentum i mean yeah. cliff Asness wrote his phd dissertation on it and i think that that was like mid 1990s so it's been around for at least that long yeah that's time amigos that was fun i don't have hair gel on i got product instead that whoever's asking the so question is there a hair gel, hair gel question <laughs> yeah they said please answer this question are you wearing hair gel <laughs> <laughs> like in the something about Mary sense? <laughs> no, that would be not hair gel, sir. And on okay. that note, gotcha. have a good week, folks. All right. Peace. All right. See you next Cheers, week. Cheers, everybody.